Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 17, the Dad Tacular, the Dadisode. I am Scatty and we have Brooke and Matt with us as always. Hello. Hey, hey. And it is with great, great pleasure that we can say for the first time that this is not a spoiler-free episode. In fact, the whole episode is dedicated to talking about topics that will undoubtedly include spoilers from all the books. So if you're reading for the first time and don't want to be spoiled, this episode is not for you. So just turn it off. We'll see you in like two weeks with the first episode of Clash of Kings. It's going to be wonderful. But just avoid this one, okay? Move on. Go listen to uh, our first episode to listen to how much we've grown since then. So uh, the Fingers have thought long and hard. That's what she said. About some of their favorite topics. And can't wait to All chat. Right. Hey, I'm just reading what's on the page here. <laughs> and we cannot wait to chat about them with you guys tonight. As always, uh, if you've got feedback about this episode or any other, uh, reach out to us at DavisFingers.com. Uh, we are DavisFingers at gmail.com. Twitter at DavisFingers or find and like us on Facebook. Um, sure, we'll get a, a flood of things about how people disagree with our theories and and uh, missed how many points we missed on, on our uh, dad tacular. But uh, let us know what you think. That's okay. Yeah. If it's one thing a Song of Ice and Fire fans like to guess it's theories and they know their theories well so um, yeah as we as we anxiously await for another book to come out we have to fill our time somewhere and we usually do it by oh my gosh what's the over making under? stuff up what's the over <laughs> under 20 2021 20, for the final book for the final book 2021 2022 oh that far it's gotta be gotta yeah, be see, the next this one's coming out to hear, but it's gonna be five more years right Great, I guess we got time to get through the the existing books then. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and probably more. All right, anyway, sorry about that. Diversion. Yeah, so we're just going to take um, as many topics as we can in the time allotted to us and just have some fun with them. So uh, we've got kind of a list of topics that we all came up with, but who knows where our meanderings will take us. If there's anything you guys know about us now is that we can get off on a tangent. We actually encourage ourselves getting off on tangents sometimes. So who knows where we'll end up, but I'm sure it'll be fun. Davos after dark. The first thing that I wanted to talk about, guys, is little Brandon Stark. Uh, where does he end up in the end? What do you guys think happens with Brandon? Just to remind everybody, last thing we know about him, he's in a cave beyond the wall, learning how to be a bona fide green seer, uh, learning at the branchy, barky feet of Brendan Rivers or Blood Raven. So, what do you guys think? Is Bran going to become a tree himself? Does he stay in the cave for the rest of existence? Um, or does does he get out? What happens with Bran? I would say that his his disability kind of lines him up for that fate. Like, well, he's he's already dependent on other people to help him get around. Uh, so why wouldn't he just become a green seer and travel over the spiritual realm mm-hmm. yeah. experience things through through that medium rather than actually experiencing it himself yeah. on his own two feet as it were 
um, which would which would fall in line with George's kind of tragic nature of storytelling, right? Brandon, his whole life, loved to climb and dreamed of being a knight, and instead he's going to live out his entire existence in a cave, you know? It would be good storytelling. Very George sure. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially to a little boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, you know, he's, man, he's in a really weird spot, to be honest. I mean... We do yes. we do the age thing all the time, and we've actually gotten some feedback from users. From users, I did it again. I'm just gonna start calling you guys users. Screw the listeners thing. Just yeah. listeners, a little background. Scad works for a software company, <laughs> so he talks about users talking, all day. I'm talking about users all the time and what the proclivities are and what they want to do. And yeah, you so. guys get to pick what you are users of. <laughs> I apologize we'll, to everyone. We'll let you decide. I apologize to everyone. It's meth down the board. We've already established yeah. that. Walter White, baby. <laughs> oh, jeez. Spoiler alerts, Matt. You mean he does meth? All right. So actually, uh, no, not he exactly. Doesn't. He's <laughs> no. probably Spoiler the alerts, character bro, in that he doesn't whole do show meth. that doesn't. <laughs> now, say my name, Eisenberg. You're goddamn right. All right. Uh. We, we we talk all the time about their ages and how young they are and, and doing these things, and um, we got some feedback from some of our listeners. Uh, Austin, I think, sent something in a, a while ago, and and uh, more recently, a, a guy named Diego uh, sent us a bunch of examples of, of, uh, of very young people doing amazing things. It was really cool to, to get that feedback. Um, but uh, in, the, in this case, Bran is, I don't even remember now, 9, 11, uh, something, and I think 9. You know, he's he's dealing with some really weird emotional control things, right? Like, he's got a tremendous amount of power that he could abuse or not abuse, and he might not even know where the line is, right? It's just a very weird thing. I mean, he hasn't, he doesn't, kids that age are really still figuring out their moral code, and it's very it's very interesting to see where he'll go. I mean, he's he's doing some pretty shady shit in his last chapter in A Dance of Dragons. A Dance with Dragons, sorry. And I'd like I'd actually like to read a passage that's scary. You guys want to hear it? Yes. Okay. This is Bran talking about slipping into Hodor as uh, his skin changing. The big stable boy no longer fought him as he had the first time, back in the lake tower during the storm. Like a dog who has had all the fight whipped out of him, Hodor would curl up and hide whenever Bran reached out for him. His hiding place was somewhere deep within him, a pit where not even Bran could touch him. No one wants to hurt you, Hodor, he said silently to the child man whose flesh he'd taken. I just want to be strong again for a while. I'll give it back, the way I always do. Like, that is some scary shit, what he's yeah. doing there. Agreed. I like, read that this chapter twice before tonight, and each time my heart kind of broke a little bit for Hodor. <laughs> yeah. And and it, it's it's... It's it's interesting because you can you can see the child in Bran kind of justifying it. I just want to be strong. Right. I'm going to give it back. No harm done. I just want to explore the caves a little bit. Yeah. Okay, this is almost completely moving on. But this might be a proof of Bran's almost superior capabilities as a, a, a as not only a skin changer but perhaps as a green cha- a green seer as well, but mostly a skin changer. The prologue, which I think of A Dance with Dragons, which I think we're going to return back to a couple of times, at least I will, uh, with Vermeer Sixkins. Do you remember the trouble he had uh, skin changing into the other wildling, the woman Thistle? 
He yes. couldn't do it. Yes. She eventually was able to cast him out, uh, you know, and then he, he ended up dying. Uh, and he was considered a very experienced skin changer, right? Especially with animals. So I wonder if that, or just showing us by that, of his inability to go into Thistle's body and then showing us that Bran could slip almost seamlessly into Hodor. Even the first time he did it, when they were fighting the whites outside of the cave, he slipped into Hodor almost seamlessly. And I wonder if that's George telling us that there's something special about Bran. He can do things that others can't. I can't help but wonder if he's going to eventually pass up Blood Raven in his abilities as a green seer. Well, two things about that. It wasn't the first time. The first time was, was actually before they even got to the wall at the lake tower when he was trying to make Hodor shut up about the lightning. Um, and he did struggle more with that. Also, Hodor's, he just put it this way, he's, he's more weak-minded, so he might have been might be easy an easier target. But I get what you're saying. Bran's a young kid. He's new to this. Varamir's an experienced skin changer, and Bran's doing this regularly, and he's pretty strong. It, it makes me want. There's there are some crazy theories out there on on all this stuff. And I know you guys don't don't read them as much as I do. One crazy one I I heard. So I think I was just on the forum somewhere, and I hate that I don't give credit to people for their ideas. I should go look it up. That that Blood Raven actually lured Bran there. And is teaching him so that Blood Raven can then take over as a new body. Oh. Terrifying. Yeah. So Blood Raven still wants the ability to skin change, so he needs another skin changer's body? Maybe. Yeah. It's it's a little thin. I mean, it's a little thin. But it's an interesting theory. It's kind of cool. And I've just, I've always, I don't know why, but I've always, I've always been uneasy with this whole thing in the cave. It just it feels, feels very vampire esque. Yes, it just yeah. feels. I don't know. It just feels wrong somehow. Something about it. And right. I, well, yeah. there's always that lingering overall question of why does Blood Raven even want Bran to come to the cave in the first place? Yeah. Exactly. Well, because Blood Raven can't really come to him in his true form. I mean, he's but, tree root now. Well, why does why does he need him though? Yeah. Because he wants to teach Bran everything he knows, right? But why? Yeah, what? great question. Why? It's probably in the text, and we've probably all read it. That's me drawing on my, my five-year-olds. Why? 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 <laughs> Here's, I, I love that you brought up the, the whole like morality thing around Bran being a child and not really questioning it. The children of the forest who, now, if I'm correct, led them to the cave, right? Cold hands led, led them, them to, to the shelter. Cave. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, but he was, he's in cahoots with the children. Yeah, we don't know a lot about how or why, but yeah, he seems to be. Or yeah, it's Blood all Raven very, Raven. like, vague. But Cold Hands, the children, Blood Raven, all, as far as we know, not actually child age, um, but still encouraging this uh, Bran exploring and, and Bran uh, taking over bodies without consent. Yeah, they mm-hmm. they seem to be almost bystanders, but aides in a way. They're like, mm-hmm. well, they're not getting in the way, and they're just kind of answering the questions that come to them. There, there's an interesting bit in the last Bran chapter that we've been talking about where uh, one of them just admits that the time of the children of the forest in the world is waning. And, and they mention yeah. other, other beings too, direwolves and giants and other things, and the, the time for all those creatures is, way, is waning. And it just struck me, same kind of the same question with Bloodraven, like, What's their game? Like, what are, what are they trying to accomplish? 
they're just kind of chilling in the cave for a while and what are they, what are they trying to do i don't I, I don't know and mm. our readers are probably disappointed that i haven't gone and figured it out or something but i don't know well we don't know the, yeah. the fact of the matter is we don't yeah we see that mira and jojen get decidedly melancholy during this whole experience uh, while brand's learning is it just because they're homesick? Is it just because they're sitting around and not doing much as Bran is learning? Or do they sense something a little bit more foreboding going on? Good questions. They're, they're there for a long time. So in the right. chapters, uh, Gurm uses uh, the descriptions of the moon to kind of pass the time. And um, I didn't do the act of all of the math or whatever, but you can go read them and figure it out probably. I, yeah. I figured it's at least two months where they're in there as brands kind of expanding his powers and, and learning how to do all this stuff. And yeah, it'd be a bummer to be stuck in that cave for two months. It's cold. They're, you know, they get food, but they're probably hungry. Um, they don't have a sense of purpose there. Cause they're just kind of wandering around the caves. Yeah. Jojen well, says, Jojen my job's dream? done. Well, he's a, um, he has the green site too, right? Yeah. And he, he, has, dream. he has a dream, dream dreams. Dreams. in the, yeah. in the cave of how they all end. Yeah. I don't believe he tells them the details. He knows. I, he the only thing I remember, I didn't reread this chapter, but the only thing I remember is that he knows he dies at home, is what he says. Oh. Maybe he's misleading them, and that's not true, but he says he dies at home, which is which. Which to me is weird, Matt. You ask about the melancholy. Why is he so sad? He knows he gets out of the cave if, if he believes that they're true. Um, so some interesting questions there. Yeah, something that might make us feel better about Bran maybe eventually getting out of the cave is that is the question of whether he actually needs to become like Blood Raven in terms of becoming a tree, right? Uh, as far as we can tell, the Weirwood is what is sustaining Blood Raven's life, but not necessarily giving him that green seeing power. Um, Bran has you know he experiences and manifests the green sight not being connected to a tree yeah the very end of the chapter right yeah the the weir net as i've heard it called so yeah. um he he's got a wi-fi connection to the weir net but. yeah he seems to at the very end of that chapter it's the last thing he sees before his his chapter and his arc as we know it ends in you know dance with dragons right right so there's there's two possible conclusions that i can think of one is that Blood Raven doesn't need to be connected to the tree to manifest his powers, and really all the tree is doing is somehow keeping him alive and sustaining him. By this time, he's like 120, 130 years old. Um, or it means that Bran's power is so heightened and so much higher and so much more potent that he doesn't require that connection like like Blood Raven does. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. The first two. The first two things we look at in this in the in the first book, Game of Thrones, we see others and then we see Bran. And you, I don't I don't know. I mean, from storytelling, who knows? But it seems like maybe they're connected in some way. I gotta think he's gonna have some sort of impact on this war against the others. Oh yeah. And I mean, I I think it's gonna be more in the information passing right. realm than the being present and 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 accounting for troops or anything like that right like oh yeah or learn... taking over their bodies oh that's interesting i never thought of that even warging a dragon yeah that's <gasps> been brought up. yeah that'd be crazy 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. Like if he, I mean, with the Weirnet, he's basically got access to all sorts of information. He could be he could right. become the most knowledgeable person in the history of Westeros. Right? What can he do with that information? That's 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 where I see his end game. Right. But I'm yeah. I'm worried about him because very easily could go bad on the compass. Yeah, you have to wonder uh, under Blood Raven's influence, Bran, like you said, Scad is still very impressionable. As uh, he's had to grow up pretty quickly as a kid, but under the influence of the wrong individuals, he could still be swayed. So, who knows if he turns out to be a bad guy? Not little Bran, right? No. I like your theory that Jojen's depression comes from knowing that Bran might go bad, not just like knowing what their fate is. Or being bored. Or being bored. Yeah. Mm. All right. Is that a... You feel like... Do we get it all out of our system? Enough Blood Raven? Enough Bran? Uh, It's enough for me. I'm super interested. To be honest, I I get kind of bored with the Bran chapter sometimes. Um, But I'm... It's almost like I want to know where he ends up. I don't necessarily care how he gets there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know that, you know, like you kind of alluded to, that there has to be something big. I mean, he's the first main character that we're introduced to in the whole whole series. Like, there's got to be something big for him. But, yeah, the journey there is pretty slow at times. All right. Um, Let's talk about uh, my favorite character. Besides Braun.com. And that is Jamie Lannister. Brooke, this is one of the topics that uh, you had brought up uh, before this podcast. And so maybe I'll let you kind of introduce it. Yeah, so I just, I kind of want to look at Jamie Lannister now, as in during Game of Thrones, and where he's at uh, toward the end of the series. Because one of the big themes in this entire series is his arc. I feel like. He was much more one-dimensional in Game of Thrones. Like, he was, like, <laughs> Cersei's lover and Tyrion's brother and the the guy who killed King Aerys. But he never got his own point of view. Uh, we never really, like, um, no character followed parallel with him. Um, but then George realized, it felt like George realized he was, like, such a stellar character and he started really paying tribute. So I'm interested in identifying when George fell in love with Jamie Lannister. <laughs> when he was like, you're sitting on a gold mine, Trebek. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think he always had the plan to do this with Jamie. Uh, really? Uh, well, I'll tell you he, why. He barely gets any airtime in Clash of Kings. Yeah, I know. I, well... Here's why. I think he deliberately sets the reader up. Maybe not. Maybe he just got lucky. Uh, but I think he deliberately sets the reader up by giving you nothing but very flat interpretations of him. In fact, singular word interpretations. Kingslayer. Kinslayer. Traitor. Like, you, you're you only supposed to identify him with these, like, singular words. And you never really get a, a look into his motivations, right? And mm-hmm. I think it, it's... I think he's he's very purposefully setting him up to be flat that way to uh, to spring it later. I talked about. But then uh, he. I'll leave it. Go ahead. But then he gets he even though you see him evolving, there's still the the threads of old Jamie uh, that hang on, or the the Jamie that you perceive from earlier chapters. Uh, I went back and read that the chapter where he uh, is at King's Landing with Brienne. And he gives her the Valyrian steel sword that was forged from ice, Eddard's old sword. Yeah, and sends her out to find Sansa. And, you know, he's 
he's actually very loving and kind towards her, but at the same time, he keeps calling her wench and all those old names he used to call her and stuff. It's almost like he's trying to hang on to old tough Jamie, but at the same time, he's, he's changing in spite of himself. And I think it's a really interesting evolution to watch. It's not night and day, uh, that I think we kind of see in like the TV show and stuff. It's almost like Jamie was a jerk and then he wasn't all of a sudden. We're still we're seeing a very slow, deliberate evolution that's really to experience. Hmm. I, I feel like I, I feel like uh, Brienne woke something in Jamie that that trip from River Run to King's Landing woke something in him that oh, yeah. just made him say, "Screw everyone else. I don't care what they say about me. I'm defined by what I do." and my actions and that's how i used to be and 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 that's what he says he's going to be going forward is i'm defined by my actions i'm going to do the right things and who cares what people say about what i did before it doesn't matter they weren't there they don't know but at the same time that's kind of how he's always been yes in a way yes it, but like, he always he... fell back on the fact that he was beautiful and and charming so he could and defined by his sister too right Hmm, and as a, a rich Lannister. Yes. So yeah, once he like, lost all of those things... Sorry, go ahead. No, I want you to finish. Well, one might say that he truly became humble and human when he lost his hand. I think it was earlier than that. I think it was when he shaved his head. Like, when they had to go undercover, when um, C- Catelyn sprang him from River Run, and he shaved his head to hide his identity as a Lannister... Mm-hmm. That was what. That was the start of it. That was the start of of Jamie becoming less one dimensional. Of of you know when he started his relationship with Brienne, um, when George recognized that he had not just a mechanism to further Catelyn's character, but a solid character. Uh, when when Jamie sort of like sloughed off his Lannisterness. Yeah, that is very her. symbolic interesting yeah certainly was the start of it or it would have been a starting point yeah mm-hmm. yeah i i agree with i agree with i think what matt said earlier and and what you were just painting brooke it's a gradual thing the hair is one thing the hand is another thing hearing the way cersei addresses him when he gets back and the way brienne talks to him and how different they are you know one with respect one with obeisance implied right i think i think he at some point i think he realizes like They've turned me into one of their pawns, and I used to be a free-thinking man. And mm. To me, that's the thing that that finally turns the tide for him. Is like, this is bullshit. I'm me. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not defined by the relationships that I have with you or with others. I wanted to be a Kingsguard when I was twelve, right? And I worked for that. And eventually, yeah, I got it as some sort of political machinations between my father and the king, but. I got it, and I always wanted it for my own reasons. Who cares why I got it? And now I'm going to do right by it, right? For my own reasons, not for anybody else, not for my family, not for serious, no, for nobody, just for me. But here's where I find a lot of depth in his character. We talk about him turning this corner and stuff, but he's always had traces of it. Like, and I'm specifically referring to when he killed Ares. He did it for the right reasons. It was absolutely what he should have done, was put a sword through Ares' back um, or front or however he killed him. Then he cut his neck or something like that. Um, I don't remember exactly how he did it. He never once, at least that we see, 
tried to like defend himself. He was called Kingslayer and all that, and he kind of just took it, and he kind of held his motivations inside for doing it. He never was like, no, no, I had to because they were going to burn all you guys with wildfire, and Ares was crazy. Crazy, da, 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 da. He never tried to defend himself or anything. It seems like he just kind of went about with this quiet, could we call it dignity, masked behind Lannister bravado. But he kind of, you know, he wore the Kingslayer badge and uh, wore it rather willingly rather than trying to defend his his intentions and stuff. That's, that's, mm, that's an interesting way to come at it. I wouldn't. Mm, I wouldn't say that killing Ares was dignity. I think it was just um, opportunity, because finally the Lannisters had taken King's Landing, so he had he had the opportunity without consequences. So I think he was probably just waiting for the chance. So it wasn't like this is my time to do the right thing to save the the realm. It was like I hate this guy. Finally, I can take him out. I think it was he both. makes it sound like, and maybe this is him just going back and, and changing his own mind about why he did things, because people do that. Mm. But he makes it sound later like he knew that Ares was putting into motion the, um, the fire plan of burning everybody, and he knew he had to act quickly, so he chased down the, the pyromancer and killed him. And then he went back and took care of Ares so that that plan couldn't be put into effect. He makes it sound like he was doing it for the reasons of saving everyone in the city. Now, again, his he could have changed his own mind after a time, but uh, hmm. that's what he makes it sound. Yeah, he, he gives that speech, and I, I buy it. Um, I, think it's, I think it's also awfully convenient, the timing um, of it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but, well, and then his attitude after doing it doesn't help much. He just goes and throws himself down on the Iron Throne. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm just gonna chill here for now. Yeah. But again, I I take that I take that kind of like what I was saying. You know, he's he's playing a role for his father at that point. He has in some way become just part of their plans and not his own man by that point. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the, the biggest change in his character is when he chooses to live his life for himself. He separates himself from Cersei. Yeah. That's easily done enough. For everybody. He tells Tyrion the truth. He, yep. mm. he he's, he's trying to live the life the way he thinks he should be, have been living it the whole time, rather than taking his cues from his father or his sister or anyone else. And that's, that's the growth to me. I think later on we're going to discuss what happens, what we what we think our headcanon for some some characters, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Jamie. Sure, I'll, uh, maybe I'll we'll save that for the end. Yeah, you'll probably be disappointed, but I'll give them. I have them. <laughs> Me too. Um, he is a stellar character, though, Brooke. I, I absolutely agree with that. Let's let's go to yeah. He's he's my favorite. He is my favorite. So, um. Let's go to Scad's one of Scad's favorite houses, the Walruses, House Manderly. Uh, at the end of A Dance with Dragons, we have nice battle shaping up, perhaps the Battle of Winterfell, um, uh, the Boltons and the Freys versus Stannis Baratheon. And we've got a bunch of other houses who have kind of pledged loyalty to Roose Bolton, including Wyman Manderly, but uh, their allegiance might be a little suspect. So Scad... Why don't you take us away and introduce this topic of Wyman Manderly? Well, a little bit of background first. Um, you know, the, the listeners 
uh, not users, but listeners to this cast are probably pretty well. Good job, Scat. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Guys, I'm trying to kick the habit. I'm I'm just, I'm trying so hard. So uh, they're probably pretty well versed, but let's, let's just do a, just a quick recap. The Manderleys are a, uh, a family that was originally from the South, uh, came North. I think it was around 900 years ago. Um, kind of fleeing for their lives from other families uh, in the Reach. And the Starks took them in, uh, gave them the area around uh, the, bay, uh, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the delta of the White Knife, uh, the, the biggest river up in the north, and said, in return, you've got to always be loyal to, to the Starks. They still worship the, the, the Seven, uh, not the northern gods, um, and they're, they're known to be fiercely loyal. Uh, they're also known to be uh, huge sacks of suet. Lord Wyman, his uh, <laughs> two sons, Wendell and Willis, uh, very fat, but uh, but good dudes uh, from what we know. But through the course of the novels, um, one of the sons dies. Uh, the Lord Wyman uh, is is too fat to sit a horse and too fat to go to war. Um, but uh, his other son is taken captive. And so what we get is a very muted, controlled, uh, at-bay uh, Wyman Manderley. He cannot act uh, on anything he really wants to do because the Lannisters could kill his heir. Uh, and that's a theme throughout some of the later books. Uh, a, a lot of families are kind of in that same, similar situation. Uh, the Umbers uh, are, are one of them as well. The great John is, is being held at the Twins. So the the thing that's interesting about about all that history that, that I've given is that what we see from Wyman toward, in, in the last book is a Wyman that has started to throw caution to the wind a little bit. A little bit. Uh, a lot. He's <laughs> openly insulting people at dinner. He has cooked a phrase into pies. Um, <laughs> allegedly. 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 Allegedly, but it's pretty sure. Um, but yeah. He he is basically openly uh, rebelling against the Bolton Frey relationship that is kind of taking control of the North, and he has his son back, but but it's still pretty it's still pretty blatant, and I don't really know why. It's almost like he doesn't care for his life, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, he's just being so so over the top with it, and so I just want to know what he's up to, and that's what I want to talk with you guys, like. What is his? What is he? What is he hoping to accomplish at Winterfell as his men ride out to uh, to face Stannis in the in the the battle outside Winterfell? One thing I can think of is maybe he wants to get out of Winterfell uh, so he can make a move, and he knows that uh, his belligerents might get him that wish, and so he's acting that way to try to goad Roos into doing something that will allow him to act. He's playing uh, a dangerous game, Bruce Bolton. Like we've seen time and time again, don't don't fuck with this guy. Yeah, he's not a dude to mess with. Not and, only that, he's got his crazy son yeah. who can fly off the handle at any time. And yeah, yeah. Ru- stick his dogs on you or something. Bruce <laughs> will give you uh, what my sister would call the slow knife, uh, but Ramsey, <laughs> he'll just take your head off in, in a second if if he wants to, right? Or more mm. likely, uh, take your legs so off we'll, and torture you. Yeah, he'll flay you bit by bit, finger by finger. It's terrible. That's terrible. But yeah, he either seems uber confident, like like there's a plan in play, and he knows that it's going to work out, and so he can basically say whatever he wants, or else he's resigned to just being like, I don't care what they do to me. Kill me, I don't care. Yeah. He's not alone there. Uh, There there are some... uh, 
some clansmen in Stannis's group. I'm kind of moving from the Manderlys for a minute, but there are some there are some clansmen in, in Stannis's group that are older guys, right? They're like in their fifties and sixties, and they're like, "Look, this is going to be my last winter. I don't care if I die. I just want to go to war and help Ned." And yeah, I'd rather die with the sword. I think they said than sitting around freezing. And I don't think yeah. we ever get Manderly's age, but we do hear his sons are older. I mean, they're you know they're in their thirties or so. I think um, you know they're balding and bigger dudes and everything. That's not old. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean that that puts him <laughs> at fifty or sixty. They're not himself. like Rob Starks. <laughs> yeah, that puts him at fifty or sixty himself is what I'm getting at. And so maybe, maybe he's in the same place mentally as those guys. And he's just like, fuck it, I don't care. My son's mm, back. Yeah. He can take over. Yeah, and who knows what what's going on? Um, he schemes by saying he he's going to the privy for a while. Right, that's when he seems to set up some type of secret meeting. I This was pointed out in the Great North Conspiracy Theory oh, yeah. uh, that he goes... Um, well, and then I found further evidence as I was reading up on it that supports that theory that I don't think was in that original uh, written theory. He says when he's first talking to Davos, remember when he... Or not first, but when he grabs Davos in secret and starts talking to him about finding Rickon and stuff, um, he says that... He doesn't have much time because he told everyone who's up at this big feast that he just had to go to the bathroom. He had to go to the privy. And everyone's used to him taking a while when he goes to the bathroom. He he reads, you know, he reads a couple articles in his magazine and stuff and and lets it just come naturally. Merman quarterly. Yeah. <laughs> Tusk. That's right, they're bearded, bearded mermen. They are. No wonder and you then, love them, Scat. And then later on, uh, when he's at Winterfell, after he travels to Winterfell, uh, the phrase, I think it's Hostine Frey, points out that Manderly keeps, you know, we never find him around because he's always off in the privy for hours at a time. Which maybe that's a slight hint that um, more stuff's that he's on. off scheming, you know, yeah. that him going to the privy is actually his scheming time. We should just, uh, so. just because... Everyone might not be familiar with it. We referenced the Great Northern Conspiracy. Again, just a quick, I mean, very, very brief recap. Go read it if you love spoilers because it's really thorough with a lot of a lot of information. Um, pretty cool. We should credit the author to that, Matt, if you know it. Um, we'll, we'll link on the website. Yeah, we'll link it. Yeah, um, we'll link it. Full of information, a, a great a great write-up. Um, but the, essentially the, the key points are the northern houses outside the Boltons, basically, are all aware of and trying to get John to become the heir uh, of, of the Starks and are actively working together to pass information amongst each other and subvert the Boltons and eventually play the Boltons against Stannis to bleed them both out and uh, allow the Starks to remain in control in Winterfell. Fair brief summary, yep. Matt? Yep. Yeah. But, uh, and but honestly, it, it, go ahead. I don't read hardly any theories, and I read all of that one, and I'm not fully convinced of it, but I am very impressed at its thoroughness and uh, the things that I picked up from it that I hadn't before. So, well done on that but, one. But some interesting things about, well, one main interesting thing about that that touches my heart dearly, what's the game with Rickon then? So, yeah. Man, so Manderly says to Davos, when, when Davos visits uh, uh, White Harbor, he says, look, you go get uh, Rickon, and all pledge fealty to Stannis, and you know Rickon would be uh, an heir uh, to the to the Starks that would 
supersede John unless unless Rob had named John the heir, right? And so he's he sends Davos after Rickon, but to what end? If if he's really part of this northern conspiracy, then what he really wants is John to be the king, and not that he doesn't care about Rickon, but it wouldn't be a, a main part of his uh, his actions to get him back, right? Yeah, and what's interesting to me is Wyman still knows, well, he knows that Bran didn't die at Winterfell, so he doesn't know of Bran's whereabouts, yeah. um, but he knows he didn't die, uh, but he seems still focused on Rickon, and maybe that's just because he knows where Rickon is, and yeah. or he thinks he knows where Rickon is, and he's maybe a little more readily available. Yeah, you have to wonder what his game is, and why, why do you think he wants Rickon so bad? Is it just out of loyalty? I think so. To the Starks? I mean, that's part of what, what you guys think. You, you can manipulate a young heir, too. Like, we, we see it happy, happen with the, the Lannisters. That's what I'm getting at. We have no reason to distrust, distrust Wyman at all. But um, I wonder if he's wanting the littlest one on the, on the throne of Winterfell, as it were, so that maybe he can be, you know, old Uncle Wyman, a <laughs> position mm-hmm. of regency, kind of the regent, and is maybe just running the north through Rickon. Uh, we have no reason to believe that Wyman's that dastardly, but um, maybe he's making a power grab here. Yeah, it's possible. He he describes himself, uh, I read a quote somewhere, as, as the most loyal man the Starks will ever find. Uh, I think he says sure. that to Lewin or something. Of course, anyone can say whatever they want about themselves. Uh, maybe doesn't matter, but I get the sense that he's loyal. Um, I'm, I'm, ba- I'm biased. I love the Manderleys. You'll give um, them the benefit of the doubt. Well, but 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 you don't have to be not loyal to want to be, you know, a uh, a right. hand or, or a, a ruler uh, until somebody comes of age. He could definitely help his family a lot by being in that position. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe he thinks it would be the best thing for the North and for the Starks if he did that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just interesting. We also know uh, real quick that he's built a ton of ships over the last year. Roderick Castle uh, Cassell tells him to build ships, and he's been building them for a year, and they've got a ton, a big fleet, bigger mm-hmm. probably than any fleet other than maybe the Ironborn, I think, uh, at this point. And who are on the other side, of the, other side of the continent. So. Right. Just that, that's a, Matt alluded to, shotgun on the wall. That's a shotgun on the wall for future, <laughs> for, the, for the future, right? Like, th- that's going to come uh, into yeah. place somewhere, and I don't know where, but he's got it. It's a loaded gun. Yeah. You know, King's Landing is pretty open right now. Um they don't really have much of a fleet anymore. Uh, they're around on the other side of the continent, if I'm not mistaken. So he could easily sell south with all of those boats that and chain, wouldn't though. encounter. Yeah, there is the chain that still is available <laughs> to use. I wonder if he's going to use the fleet to take the Dreadfort, mm. to take Roose Bolton's house. That's uh, it's it's on it's on a coast. It's a, what's the where is it? The weeping. I've got the map right Papas. here. It's on. The, it's on the weeping water. Yeah, he could easily sell right up that uh, river and take over the Dreadfort, which there's probably nobody there right now because they're all at Winterfell. Um, I don't know if the conditions are bad. It might be pretty icy with how cold right now. Mm. And also, what does it gain him to take over the Dreadfort? I don't know if there's really too much of a uh, strategy to to taking it. At least a good strategy, a reason for taking it at this point. Other than to not get give Roos some place to run to. Well, I'm willing to move on. I just wanted to know if anybody yep. had any other thoughts about Manderley and his game. Just seems very dangerous and very uh, kind of not caring about his health. Yeah, 
and he ends up with uh, three of his four chins sliced through. Yes. Right? I, we, the we first asked, time I read that, it was almost like a Ned moment for me. I was like, no! <laughs> I will point okay. out, though, that despite his girth, uh, in one scene it describes him as being rather nimble when he's dancing. So I think he's, uh, he's maybe a little more coordinated, maybe a little more able than people think. Yeah. Kind of like Illyrio. Well, like uh, Chris Farley, right? Big dude. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Big dude. But he was incredibly athletic. Like, incredible move. control of his body. Like, very, very good physical actor. Anyway, moving on. Brooke. Yes. What up with Lady Stoneheart? Why don't you take us down that road? Well, here's what I'm interested in with Lady Stoneheart. We have... Um... Um, as you guys know, I'm into the zombies and I'm very interested in like the science and I guess workings behind the whites. And then now we also have a second classification of zombies, which is, well, it starts with Don Darien, who comes back to life thanks to Sir Thoros of Thoros of Mir. I almost got Thor. it. I'm sorry, what? Miros of Thor. Miros of Thor. <laughs> Thanks for enunciating. No, it's it's Thoros of Mir. I was transposing things. You're an asshole. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and so, what's the deal with her animated corpse? Is what I what I'm interested in. What is left of Cat, and what role were, will her and her band of merry men play in the outcome of the game as a whole? Um, I think uh, Radio Westeros did an excellent cat episode and probably dedicated like a good third of the episode just to Lady Stoneheart. There's tons of essays about it, but they they really only like concentrate on the the facts and the evidence around how she exists. I want to talk more about the badassness of Lady Stoneheart. <laughs> if, you haven't, and, if you haven't figured it out yet, this podcast doesn't deal with facts. <laughs> yeah. So we talk argue. about whatever we want. <laughs> let's, just, let's just fight each other about this. That's what I want. Yeah. I also want to point out I I'm not sure, but like Drogo also like a zombie, right? And same kind of blood bloodish magic to revive. Great points. I don't, but but he's clearly like a weaker class of zombie. Maybe Mary is a weaker class of reviver or something, but right. Well, I I don't believe he actually died and came back, or if he, he if he dead, yeah right? if he did his his corpse never really like became yeah. all right. That's fair enough. Well, here's a possibility: Melisandra in her one POV chapter in A Dance with Dragons, she mentions that being up north actually uh, kind of heightens yeah. or focuses her powers mm. to the point that. Like, as she's walking through the ice tunnel, the ice starts to melt kind of around her. It starts to drip a little bit where she steps and stuff and where she stands. Um, Get that bitch off the wall! Uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> Wall's coming down. And she, of course, is operating under the same uh, power religion, if you will, as Thoros of Mir. Um, so, is there some kind of connection between what's going on with the whites reanimating and uh, the power that they possess, uh, relore and stuff? I don't know. Connection, yeah. Well, hmm. see, what what are these different planes of magic? Because because right. dragons we have established are magic, 
right? Yeah. Seems and like then it. you've got, yeah, and then you've got the wall we have also established is magic. Magic of the first men, I'd say, yeah. Yes. Or Children of the, Children of the forest. forest, yeah, which is, they passed it along, right? Right. So, uh, where was I getting with this? Uh, you asked what, oh, does it have Different types of magic. Right. You were saying different planes of magic. Yeah, for sure. They exist. Um, I think you're right in that they're all connected and that they'll probably all come clashing together at the end of the book. Uh, uh, sort of like a trope in a lot of fantasy novels is that you have two armies in, in any battle. You have the foot soldiers on the ground, the physical, and then you have like the wizards or the mages or the, the people with the magic fighting each other, right? So mm. you have, if, if one side has both of those armies and the other side only has one, it's always going to be the side with both that wins, right? Because the wizard will distract the other wizard and then the army will come in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you need a, yes. you need a, a supernatural element and then a normie element. And so <laughs> we have plenty of normie elements fighting. When will the supernatural start clashing? Yeah, it's really interesting how the book starts on the others and we still haven't gotten a bunch of them yet. Like yeah. when do they really start to Right. But like Scad it starts into the it starts on the others and it ends on dragons. Yeah, so Scad you you mentioned that we were going to talk about head cannons or sorry Matt you you mentioned that we were going to talk about head cannons and for me that's my head cannon is there finally be a face off of the magic versus magic. Sure. And it'll be it'll be dragons versus dragon fire versus the others, for sure. Oh baby. I'm really looking forward to it. We're getting crazy. I just feel <laughs> like there's got to be So you you've heard the term the great other before, right? Yeah. I don't think we've been uh, like the great other have... and and Azor Ahai are like the the kind of the kind of uh Wait, wait, wait. Main... I've not heard the term the great other. Is that canon? Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, uh, I think Nan mentions. I don't remember where. Oh, Jesus, I'm unprepared. Sorry, re- sorry, listeners. Um, no, I'm unprepared. He's talked about n- not much, though. Not a lot, but he he's kind of just thought to be. It's all. I think of it almost like a presence, almost like a deity. But you don't know anything about him, really. I always thought of him as kind of the counterpoint of Azor Ahai. Both of them kind of being magical <laughs> in nature in some way, right? Um, yes. Alessandra refers to him. Is where you're getting it from. To the great other? Yeah. yeah. She refers to the others as the cold children of yes. the great other. Yes, right. So so they're like, so, even though they're magical, they are like soldiers a little bit um, of the great other. And maybe dragons are the soldiers of Azor Ahai. I don't know. I It's, uh, I don't know. It's crazy. I, hmm. And where Bran fits in with with kind of the magic and dreams right. and, and all that. It's, it's a, he's done a great job of, I think he's either really confused himself or he's done a great job of obfuscating what really is, what the real end game will be. Well, in, in normal tales, it's two sides, one versus it's the other. It's clear what's going to happen. In this story, <laughs> we've got 18 different yeah. sides that have to come into to participate in this you've got stannis you've 
You've yeah. got um, John, you've got uh, Bran, you've got just the others in general. Um, you've got Arya who's across the sea. Who knows how she's going to – what's she going to come back and do? You've got you know Danny, everyone. What's going to happen? Like how is this eventual explosion going to occur? Yeah. It's crazy to think about. That is kind of a natural progression towards headcanon. But I don't, I don't know how much that interests readers. Do they, like, we aren't deities. Do they care what our personal headcanons are? I put it out there, and I'm like, do they care what we really want to happen or think is going to happen? <gasps> I don't know. Do we want to go to it? They better care what I think. <laughs> well, I, I, wrote, I wrote a ton of just, like, where, what characters I think are going to do what and everything. Um, um, they're, just, they're, just, they're just wants. They're just theories. They're just, this would be cool right. if it happened kind of stuff. We did get one from our buddy, Westeros Batman. Who want, he specifically asked us to mention who our favorite characters were and what we think happens to them and stuff. Scott, so can you can you can you talk about that as part of your theories? Our favorite characters. Your favorite character. I don't. I have. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I, 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 we did this. I, um, I don't know if, if Westeros Batman missed it, but we we talked about our favorite characters. I think in the first episode. It was, it was fairly brief. It was very so. brief. Yeah, it was very brief. I think at that point I said Arya, but I liked Tyrion a lot too. I guess I'd let's just incorporate this into our into our headcanon uh, stuff. Okay, well, I, I like Arya. I, I love Davos and I love Tyrion. Also, um, Arya is probably my favorite. The way I see her, though, uh, I mean, so the theme of my <laughs> the theme of my of my headcanon is I want everyone to get what they want and be happy, and so it's my interpretation. <laughs> it's my interpretation of what they want. So, are you ready? I'll just I'll just give it to you in 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 a big dose. Do you want it? Do it. All right. Let's hear how much you hate yourself. I don't hate what? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you want everyone to be happy? That's your that's your head cannon. Yeah. You know that's impossible. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah. why do you hate yourself? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Disappoint <laughs> disappointment beware. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. Okay, Fagon is actually just Aegon, and claims the throne just in time for Danny to come back with her three dragons. But she needs two additional riders, so she finds them in her nephews, Aegon and Jon. Uh, they rise to defeat the others, who've made it all the way to the south. Uh, because of uh, all the wars and stuff going on in the north, they're depleted, and the others make short work of it and make it to the south. But through a sacrifice that Jon Snow makes, and some information from Bran and the Weirwood Network, and, some, and, a, and a sacrifice from Stannis, they earn victory uh, with the dragons and, and with, uh, with Stannis' sacrifice. Aegon and Danny then marry, much to the uh, delight of the realm. Uh, the Targaryen rule is back in place, uh, where they've had kind of peaceful rule uh, for one kingdom for 300 years. Um, they get to work on producing heirs, which I don't know how will happen at all, given Danny's current predicament. Rickon inherits Winterfell. Yay! Sansa is awarded Casterly Rock for her <laughs> marriage to Tyrion, ironically. Arya lives out her days with Nymeria in the Riverlands after spying on and killing Cersei. Tyrion, lastly, gets to see Danny's dragons in Marine and does what he suggests while he's on the Roin, which is retiring to his garden. Garden in quotes, which is establishing a library wherever it is that whores go. Far from the politics of Westeros, he lives his life in peaceful happiness with his former wife. There's my headcanon. Oh, perfect world. That's a good headcanon. Tell me how you really feel, bro. No, I'm not being sarcastic. I really love it. Yay. Mm. <laughs> Matt's like, it'll never happen, Dick. Ugh. I have a problem with Aegon. Ah, uh, yeah, I think everyone will. No one believes Aegon is Aegon. 
your interpretation of it, but just him in general. No, it's not that I don't believe he's Aegon. I just have trouble giving a prominent ending to someone that was introduced this late in the game. Yeah. I think yeah. I think Danny's going to kill him. I think she's I think Aegon is going to get maybe all the way to King's Landing and take it over. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be one of Danny's first major victims when she makes it to Westeros. Yeah. She's going to chop him to pieces. Here's here's why like, I want uh-uh, it. Uh-uh, son. Here's why I want it. And if you want to give the rest of your head cannon, you can, and I'll stop interrupting you. But I can explain why I want it. Do you want me to explain? No, oh, I like it. I like it discussion style like this. All right. So, so this is why I want it. So Aegon is, he's been, I mean, he's been described, and we've seen, he's he's a little bit petulant sometimes, but basically he'd be a really good ruler. We've seen Danny's flaws. She's got a lot of flaws. And I think I think I think Aegon would be great. And I so I and want I think that. that's exactly why he'll die. Yeah, probably. But this was <laughs> this is what I want, Matt. This is your headcanon, yeah. yes. And I'm sorry for bringing down your headcanon. He's just he's like he taught about the common people given all this training in all these diverse areas, not lived a privileged life. Like, it just sounds... It just sounds like he'd be a great ruler to me. And that's what I want for the realm. Just like Varys. He is a good, he is a good kid. I'll tell you one that's kind of sad to me. I, I don't I don't see Jamie making it in the end. I think he's no. going to die. Yeah, I think he's going to die. He's going to die doing something noble. Maybe for Brienne. Mm. But uh, I think he's going down. See, what I want out of Jamie will probably disappoint you. That would be a, a suitable ending to his arc. That'd be a suitable ending to his arc. Go for it. What I want is for him to just be on the King's Guard. I want him to just be uh, a soldier like he wanted to be. And I think that will make him uh, happy. It would. I agree. Yeah. yeah but it's kind of a disappointing, kind of non huge, arcy thing, right? So. Uh huh. No, and I think that's a that's a good ending for him. Yeah, I definitely could see some sort of martyrism as yeah. its ending for sure totally to to finish off that arc. But again, that's that's really optimistic. Well, if you want something for a character, expect the exact opposite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yep. we haven't talked yet about who's gonna who's gonna off Cersei because her prophecy is foretold, right? And we don't know mm-hmm. who, but somebody's. I assumed it was. I said it was going to be Arya, just because I love Arya. But well, and and that depends on your belief in prophecy. Yeah, true. I wonder if she'll just live, and she will be miserable for the rest of her life. Like she won't get back to Casterly Rock or something, or something like that, and she'll just live out the rest of her life just completely miserable in the neck or something. Yeah, <laughs> she'll get Molin all to herself forever. <laughs> all right well let's hear yours what brooke what's your headcanon uh, mine's a little more vague and really centers around john and danny who i just want them to have some sort of weird sort of incestuous romance i know but it's not weird, i love i i i'm i adore the r plus j equals r plus l equals j theory like so many of us um and the Targaryens like to keep the bloodline pure, so it just makes sense that Danny and John would end up together. Song of Ice and Fire, I totally buy into them being, you know, representations of that. 
um, dragons defeating the others. I've already been through this. You know what? Maybe like as some sort of, I don't know, self-protective mechanism, I'm not letting myself think too hard about the details (laughs) of the end because... Because yeah. because fading, I don't want to fate any ideal ending. George being like, "No, you can't have this." So there definitely be others versus dragons, one hundred percent. There'll definitely be Danny in Westeros, one hundred percent. She's definitely coming across the sea because, like, I feel like the entire series has been leading up to that. And and I don't believe John is dead. That that is definitely something I'm holding Ooh, on to. And, and that's I something don't... we didn't talk about before. Ooh, sorry, bro. Carry <laughs> no, on. no, it's all good. Let's talk about it. Sometime. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to um, it. Yeah. I, I know that there's lots of great theories that perhaps he's worked into ghosts. That perhaps his 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 body might be preserved by the wall. Um, that he's dead, but he'll he'll come back as some sort of frozen handed. Yeah, you know, magical creature, but I just don't think he's dead. I don't think his injuries killed him. I think that uh, it was just a scare tactic. It was just a a good cliffhanger, and that everything will be right as rain, and he will continue as Lord Commander. Don't let that mm. hope get you too high, there, Brooke. Uh, I know, right? I keep on like contradicting myself. <laughs> don't 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 get too too positive. But then, yeah. But that- so, what what did you, what were you going to say, Matt, about John? Oh, I got plenty to say about John. Do it. Um, I do think John dies. I think he uh, wargs into Ghost before he dies, and I think that he will eventually come back out of Ghost through some sort of magical ability. And again, this goes back to the Veramir stuff at the beginning of A Dance with Dragons. We get a ton of information about how warging works, and Veramir. Uh, through his learning throughout the years, he knows that when a skin changer dies, a part of them can live on inside of the animals that you have warged into at some point. Uh, And he pays particular attention to wolves. He talks about how difficult it is to warg with a wolf, but once you've been able to do it, you become almost a part of each other. He says that working a wolf is almost like a marriage and you are uh, both, both the, the person and the wolf are changed for life. Um, and so the spirit can live on inside of an animal that you've worked into, although it does uh, start to fade after a while. It's called the second life and he refers to it as sweet. It's something that you, you can almost be hopeful for. Uh, and he talks about all of this different stuff, and when, indeed, when Veramir dies, he comes back for his second life. Do you remember who he comes back as? Uh, the eagle? He comes back as a wolf. Oh. Um, one of the wolves that he'd warged into before. Uh, and he, he seems like he's not sure which animal he'll come back to, so maybe that suggests that, you know, it's kind of a toss-up of, where your second life will be. He seemed kind of surprised when he came back in the wolf that he did come back in. Uh, but it does have to be an animal in which you've worked before. Um, and then there's some, there's some little clues that might just be me reaching a little bit, but, uh, Veramir calls out ghost in his chapter. He remembers ghost from when John was playing beyond the wall. Um, 
And he even says in the chapter, in his thoughts, he thinks there would be a second life worthy of a king to warg into ghost, to, to survive as ghost. He says there would be a second life worthy of a king to be inside ghost. He had a lot of respect for ghost as a dire wolf. Um, so John, I think, does die. Uh, there's a couple other tiny little things. For example, when um, right before Varamir dies, he said he felt an intense cold. I don't know if you remember that. It says he felt really cold. And John's final thought, thing that he felt, he whispered the name Ghost, and then he, the only thing he felt was cold. He felt cold as well, um, which is the exact same as, as Varamir felt. So, I don't know. They might just be little clues, but uh, John, you know, dying and feeling that cold, uh, all those clues that we get about warging from Varamir in the first chapter, um, I don't know. It makes me think that he really did bite the, bite the dust there. Um, it's a solid theory, but not only does John die in that instance, but Ghost loses his ghostness identity. Like we we talked a lot about Ghost and his uh, potential intelligence in the last episode. I hate to see that all go to waste. No, it just no, that's taken over. Yeah, there's there's uh, there they kind of coexist together inside of the animal though. There's there's a bit of John and then a bit of the animal. So yeah, it does compromise Ghost's personality a little bit, but eventually the 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 human component fades away. Veramir teaches us that eventually the wolf completely takes over. Mm. How much time that takes, I, I we don't know. Um, there was an interesting vision that Melisandra has in her one chapter in A Dance with Dragons. She, and it might be something completely different, but Melisandra has a vision of, she sees John, then she sees a wolf, then she sees John again, surrounded by skulls, which to me could signify danger or death. So John alive, wargs into ghost, then comes back as resurrected John. Huh? 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 Oh yeah, no, the, the evidence is solid for sure. I just don't have to like it. Well, and then the question is, is how does he get brought back? Well, Melisander uh, could cure. I mean, Uncat's working pretty good in the Riverlands, almost like a completely sure. cognizant human being. Beric was actually pretty functional. I don't, I, Melisander talked, we already mentioned that she says that the magic is stronger up here. Seems to I mean, seems to me Gurm's easiest out, and it's why I'm not all that intrigued. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'm not all that intrigued by the John story with the death before the book, because as Brooke said, I think it is easy fodder for for cliffhanger and, and making everyone chew their nails for six years, wherever long, damn long it takes. Um, but it just seems like he, his easy out is, well, Melisander's magic and she'll just revive him and he'll be fine. And maybe mm-hmm. he maybe he warged into Ghost and will come back and, you know, doesn't matter. He's still, you know, he'll still be John. Her magic is strong enough or whatever. Seems like he's got an out right. there. And mm-hmm. so, but but here's 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 why I don't think in the end, I don't think it matters. In the end, it's gonna be John as John's body, and it's just because of the narrative purpose. I, I just John is set up as too important a character to end up a wolf, even though it would be a life sure. fit for a king. I just don't see it. And I know you're saying he'll come back somehow, but some of the theories out there are like, no, he's he's just a wolf now. And yeah, like, yeah. Eh, I just don't that why. The narrative purpose doesn't fit to me. No, I think he's definitely coming back. 
the question is how, and I don't think it's that easily explained because they've, in all the instances you brought up before the Catlin stuff, is there's never been warging involved. So the question is how to get John's essence, if you will, back from a wolf back into a human body. Uh, I guess once you're not the human anymore, you can't. He couldn't warg back out of the wolf. I think that uh, somehow the first men magic, children of the forest magic, will play a part in bringing John back as well. Uh, and I even wonder if Bran is going to somehow be able to influence that in John, and maybe Bran getting inside of Ghost as well, and maybe being able to guide John back wow. to his body in some way. That'd be cool. Or something like that. That'd be cool. Yeah. It would be cool to tie them back together. I think any theory where John ends up reanimated back in his body, no matter whether it's through Melisandre or through wall magic or through Bran or just through Ghost, there's an opportunity to have a point of view through a reanimated person, which I really want to see. Mm-hmm. Like, perhaps... To see that journey? Well, right? perhaps they've had a glimpse at the beyond. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, We've to, had that opportunity with Kat, but he didn't give it to us yet. Yeah. I, but I feel like when she became Lady Stoneheart, like she, her body was so ravaged, one, by the, the method of her murder, and second, by the river, that she kind of came back as... A completely different character. I mean, she even got a different name. But Beric Dondarrion, his his body wasn't as destroyed after his death. I mean, he died what like six times or something. A few times, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he never really like rotted away. Like he didn't lose pieces of his brain. I guess uh, <laughs> he maintained he maintained uh, like scars and wounds and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm making up some but... science about this, but he was he was still relatively the same person. You brought this up earlier, Scott, but he was also a little more um, savage. I, I seem to recall him being described as as more wise and and more like introspective and you like at least that's the impression i got left with after you know i'm maybe hearing but it does say and i agree with you i think he does get a little bit more wise as he goes along but he also starts to lose part of himself it says with each time he died it seemed like he lost a little bit of his identity Ah, there you go. Well, the set up that that Barrick the person kind of goes away, even though he's becoming, you know, intellectually perhaps a little bit more wise. And, and did you ever did you ever see the movie Multiplicity? No. Yeesh. The, Michael Keaton, right? And they figure out how to make clones, and they make a clone of him to like do chores and go to work for him and things like that. And then they make another clone of that clone, and they kind of make clones of clones, and eventually they get like the fifth one down the line, and he's just really stupid and simple-minded and it's like you know sometimes when you make a copy of a copy and you lose some some of the clarity and, and sharpness <laughs> that's maybe what's happening to Barrick. it's like well you keep bringing him back but he's just kind of he's not exactly the same as what he was before yeah and he's gone now right he's dead yeah he passed it on yeah I don't and, and yeah and now. what did he pass on to cat like like what like a spark like like a, a bit of spirit something from the other world if there is another world like it's we might actually get some more information on that which i'm really interested in through john if only because bodies keep in the cold i just i, yeah. I, well, I it's similar similar to bran it's like i know unless germ really pulls a fast one on me i know john's in the end game i care a little less how he gets there and because I just know he's going to get there, and I feel like his death was a cheap cliffhanger. I don't buy I don't it for a second. Cheap. I think it's going to. 
No, and and I think it's going to be a really, I think it's going to be a really cool story of him coming back. But yeah, there's no way. Um, maybe this quote is just. I feel like this quote is just too uh, too much of a dead giveaway. But Melisandre, when she's looking into her flames, she says, "I pray for a glimpse of Azora High, and the lore shows me only snow." It's snow almost too obvious, right? Yeah, it's it's like way too obvious. It feels like. Uh, yeah, yeah, no way, no way can that, can it be that easy? But, and, and also, you know, Melisandre doesn't have a perfect track record for interpreting the flames, so she could be very wrong. Uh, she's, yeah. Oh, oh, there was another thing that I read in Bran to maybe support this. Uh, the Bran dream chapter from a game, the book that we just finished, Game of Thrones, when Bran's having his three-eyed crow dream, he says he dreams of John sleeping alone in a cold bed, skin growing pale and hard, as the memory of all warmth fled from him. Remember, the last thing John felt was cold. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I read, and I read, growing pale and hard as as dying, frankly. But uh, yeah. you haven't. Lived. Okay, we can move on from John. No, no, these are these are all great. Gosh, it would just be great if the next book came out. Jeez, wouldn't that we be... Could... Answer some of these questions? Yeah. <laughs> then, then people could stop listening to us speculate. Then what okay, we but do? can we can we all agree, guys, that the person who's going to end up on the Iron Throne is Bronn? I mean, is there any question? Your loyalty to Bronn eclipses any other Bannerman in this whole series. <laughs> I'm still I'm still rooting for Gendry. Come on, oh, buddy. Oh yeah, Gendry. Put the Baratheons yeah, back on the throne. We've still got Gendry running around out there. There's so many character arcs to tie up somehow. Yeah. yeah. But we all know who really is going to end up on the Iron Throne. Who's going to melt the Iron Throne and maybe make a paperweight out of it? Danny. <laughs> well, that's another that's another question is is we always talk about it in terms of who's going to sit the Iron Throne in the end, but who says there has to be an Iron Throne? What yeah. if everything's just completely reorganized? Right. What if it goes back to the way it was of individual kingdoms um kind of all ruled by their own king or something? I don't know. Yeah, thinking about my headcanon, I I I originally just started trying to think about what is Gurm trying to say with this series. And it's like depending on what outcome you think is going to happen, it really kind of tells you what you think Gurm is trying to accomplish. Like, if if the Targaryens get back on the throne and they marry into the family or whatever, then it's just kind of like back to back to zero, right? That's kind of where the series kind of started, or, or I guess right before the series started. If it goes, you know, if, if it goes back and somebody else sits the Iron Throne, then it's, then it's like, yeah, or, or, or no Iron Throne, then it's like, Oh, he's trying to say that you know people should be independent and government should be smaller and you know like all these kind of other. It just depends on what you think he's trying to accomplish. There could be so many, so many different ways it could go. I don't think he paints a picture of any any option really being better for the people so far. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. you get the impression that before the Targaryens take over, it's kind of a clusterfuck. Like they're fighting all the time, border wars. They're smaller wars, but everybody thinks they own things. It's just kind of a mess. And the Targaryens come in, and you think it's kind of a little bit cleaned up. But if you read A uh, World of Ice and Fire, all sorts of shenanigans are going on during the Targaryen rule, right? Like, right. it's yeah. also not pretty. So yeah. maybe the others need to succeed, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
<laughs> Wipe at the least to clean. tear everything down so yeah. they can build it back up in a different right. way. And that would be an interesting yeah. take for Gurm, right? Uh, he has given slight hints at the ending, saying that it will be it will be quite melancholy. The ending will be kind of bittersweet and stuff like that. So. <sighs> that does not make Brooke happy. <laughs> no, I accidentally read a spoiler about the show the other day that uh, someone is. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the problem. I we have probably some listeners that are book enthusiasts and do not watch the show. And do not want to be spoiled by things that the show is revealing that the book hasn't yet. I want everyone to feel my pain. Don't be that I, person, I Brooke. feel your pain, because I guarantee I know. Don't don't be that person, Brooke. <laughs> Thanks for checking me, Scad. Sorry. No, I appreciate it. All, all yeah, our I'm listeners not. are going to be like, it, it's private messaging your Twitter. Late. And like, what is it? What is it? <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, I am interested to see how this whole thing pans out. It seems like if they just put someone on the Iron Throne, it would just be like starting the cycle over again, right? Eventually someone's going to take over that Iron Throne and blah, 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 blah. I am interested to see how all the Starks play out. You know, what happens to Sansa? What happens to Arya? Freaking Arya. What is she going to do? Who's a little assassin? Yeah. Like, can she ever come back to just being a Stark? I don't think she can. I, I think she can. I think I've talked about this. She comes back to Nymeria. Right. Scat's headcanon, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think she does end up back up with her wolf, but I don't think she can ever go back to just being a normal Stark. I think she can. There's a. I, I didn't read her whole chapters in A Dance of Dragons, but I read part, uh, just a few paragraphs here and there throughout her chapter. And one of the things that they're, they're asking her, um, would would you kill for your own reasons or something? And and she bites her lip and gives herself away. And it's like, I, I feel like throughout all of this, she's able to compartmentalize the things she's learning with who she really is and always maintain that that kind of um that that kind of personality and and uh ownership of who she is. Singularly in a little bit in that way. You know, being so young, I don't sure. know how she does that, but it seems to me like she could come back. I think she I think she has the ability to because of that ability to compartmentalize, like you said, but I don't know if she'll want to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think she does. I think everything she's learning, she's like, this is fucked up. It can help me get what I want. Oh, I think she'll I think she'll definitely come back and play this major role in helping the Starks get back to where they need to be and stuff. But then it'll kind of be like, mm, this isn't for me. And she'll yeah. go off with Nymeria and, and they'll do something. Um, but I don't see her becoming like a normal member oh, of I society see. again. Yeah. I see. Same with Rickon. Rickon is so non-Stark at this point, right? Yeah, Yeah. even when he was a Stark, he was non-Stark, a little wildling. He's been completely raised by wildlings at this point, and I don't... He's 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 a big-time wild card. Like, when he comes back, and I'm sure he will, what is he going to be like? Uh, I'm excited to see. You know, one of the things we were talking about um, with, with uh, how things will change, and, like, is it just going to go back to the way it was before, and... Like, why the hell is Gurm writing this if he's, if it's not going to have some sort of narrative eureka moment or something, right? One of the things that I, when I was reading uh, Brand stuff, uh, I, I went off and did some offshoot reading about Bloodraven. And he is, I think, the first known uh, person with Targaryen and First Men blood. And so he's kind of special. And Jon mm, is right. the second, at least, that we know about. And... 
and maybe that's maybe that's like the golden ticket. The golden ticket is having the the freehold Valyrian yeah. blood and the first men old gods blood and mixing them together and it creates mega ruler. <laughs> right? Somehow that that helps the people. Maybe that's I don't know. Just a thought. And in fact, he's he's like albino with white hair and kind of reddish eyes. Yeah. Kind of like ghost and like a weirwood tree. Yeah. Yep. He's Targaryen. Yep. So, part Targaryen. Yeah, which makes the idea of Danny and John getting together quite intriguing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've come to the end. <laughs> Whether we're all tired or what, but... Oh, man. I, I, I feel like we accomplished a lot tonight. I do, too. Yeah. I feel invigorated, man. This is the way I always just so feel you, when we finish. Uh, just I so you guys know, um, it's almost 1 o'clock in the morning to our listeners, and <laughs> we're still going strong. So Yeah, we finished <laughs> the character Where Are They Now episode, uh, which we started at about 9.30. Uh, we've yep. been going for three and a half, three, over <laughs> three hours. Three hours, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Good on us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons more could be said, uh, but we'll leave it, I suppose, for another datasode sometime. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably continue this, and, and you know, this is just our musings, and certainly there's you know a lot of great material out there to look at, and uh, so do that if you want to delve more into the theories. Yeah. This is Brooks signing off, saying, please let us know if you have the same taste in men as Scad. I'm interested to do a little count. Do you like them big? Do you like them hairy? Do you like them unable to seat a horse? Let us know. What is your Scadacy? Scadacies by Skin. <laughs> that would sound be kind the of most like a pungent fragrance, a male fragrance. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like it's 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 Robert's it's and... Robert's sweat after a long ride. Sweat, yeah, <laughs> smells like butt crack. Scat. <laughs> no, Scott, you do not smell like butt crack. At least that I've experienced. I'm gonna give you a give a good hearty sniff next time I see you. Just that would be awkward. More awkward than our than our normal greetings. <laughs> <laughs> Last time Scad came to my office in my location, I was like, hey, buddy. And I stood up to give him a hug. He's like, we're going to hug here. I was like, yes, we're going to hug. And then I made him do it. (laughs) Oh, man. I feel bad about it now, Brooke. If it makes you feel any better. It does. (laughs) Whereas Brooke and I, like, ran from across the room to each other. We made a scene. Uh, so I'll sign off now. This is Matt. Um, take your cue from Dave Matthews and remember that the future is no place to place your better days. That's way more profound than what I got. In the words of Jay from Chasing Amy, oh, enough of this fucking melodrama. Let's move on to a clash of kings. Good night, everybody. Good night. Night. For we are always what our situations hand us It's either sadness or euphoria